The epistle for today's Mass is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Romans. Brethren, I reckon that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory to come that shall be revealed in us. For the expectation of the creature waits for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him that made it subject in hope. Because the creature also itself shall be delivered from the servitude of corruption into the liberty of the glory of the children of God. For we know that every creature groans and travails in pain even till now, and not only it, but ourselves also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption of the sons of God, the redemption of our body in Christ Jesus our Lord. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel is taken from the fifth chapter of the gospel of St. Luke. At that time, when the multitude pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And going up into one of the ships that was Simon's, he desired him to draw back a little from the land. And sitting, he taught the multitudes out of the ship. Now when he had ceased to speak, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said to him, Master, we have labored all the night and have taken nothing, but at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a very great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned to their partners that were in the other ship that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they were almost sinking, which when Simon Peter saw, he fell down at the knees of Jesus, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he was wholly astonished in all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And so were also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. And Jesus says to Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And having brought their ships to land, leaving all things, they followed him. Please be seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Dear Father Gadosh, Dear faithful, yesterday we had the Mass for the graduates of our school, and I was mentioning that their graduation marked the end of a 13-year project, the project of their education that was meant to prepare them for life. But today we have an even greater ceremony where one of our graduates, one of our graduates from 2011, is returned to his parish church as a priest to celebrate his first Mass. Father Gadash has taken everything that he's received here from his family, from the parish, from his school. He sought to discern his vocation at a seminary. He underwent eight years of formation, and today he has returned to us as a priest of our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result, this is a day of very great joy for all of us because I think all of us desire the good of the church. We want the kingdom of God to come. And we know that this cannot happen without the multiplication of priests, monks, and nuns. We know especially that the church depends on good priests. This was the vision of Archbishop Lefebvre. This is what motivated Archbishop Lefebvre to found the Society of St. Pius X. He said, what can I do for the church? Uh, and he came to the conclusion that the most important thing he could do would be to form good priests. 
The church depends on good priests. Where you have a priest, you have the administration of the sacraments, you have the teaching of Catholic doctrine, you have the spiritual guidance of souls towards holiness. And where you do not have a priest, you have spiritual chaos. It's one or the other. The priest is absolutely indispensable in the order of salvation for souls to reach heaven. And priests, obviously, are not something you can just order online. They don't have them for sale. They're not something that is mass-produced in factories. And the reason for this is that the priesthood is wholly supernatural. Things that are supernatural can only come directly from God. You can produce natural things in factories. You can produce any, more or less any natural thing in a factory because it's within our power to do natural things. But we have absolutely no power whatsoever to do the supernatural. And the priesthood is supernatural by its very nature. The whole point of the priesthood is to be a mediator between God and man, to take the things of the faithful and present them to God, to take the things of God and present them to the faithful, supernatural things. The priesthood consists in renewing the perfect sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. It consists in taking away the sins of the world. And this is not something that a corporation can do. No corporation can do this. Only God can do it, and God wills to do it in a certain way. He wills to do it through the Catholic priesthood. That's why the priest cannot be produced at will. And that's also why we're always curious when a priest is ordained about the process that has led to his ordination. There's always something mysterious about the begetting of a priest. And we want to gain information about how it happened. Because so much is hidden from our eyes, because it's precisely not something at the natural level where we can just go observe it happening. When it does happen, we are in wonder. And we want to know what took place. How do we get priests? Maybe this particular instance of the begetting of a priest will give me some sort of clue as to how priests are, are generated. And so we go to his parents and we say, hey, what did you do so that one of your sons became a priest? Or we go to the priest himself and we ask him, what made you choose to enter the seminary? And when you got there, are you, you, you were there for eight years? How, how did you persevere for so many years to the day of your ordination? Or perhaps we go to the professors at, at the seminaries. What, what was unique about, about this particular young man that, that he was able to make it, that he was be able to or, be ordained, and, and so many of these others did not make it to their ordination day? And hopefully one of the reasons why we do this, why we, I, I know we do this because <laughs> so many people have approached me with these, these questions, like, Father, you know, I mean, why, why did you enter the seminary? What, what, what motivated you? Um, so, I mean, hopefully one of the reasons that we do this is because we want more priests. We want to know something about where priests come from so that maybe we can be a part in the begetting of priests. Maybe we can be a part in a vocation coming from our family or from 
our parish. And I, and I really hope that, that all of our parents have the ambition that, that one or more of their children will pursue a vocation, that they will want their families to resemble the family of the little flower of St. Therese or, or the family of Archbishop Lefebvre himself, a family where there were eight children and five of them pursued a vocation. There were three nuns and two priests from this very devout Catholic family, and somehow that family was able to inspire their children to give their lives to the church. And that's, as I say, the, the greatest ambition that any mother or father can have for their own children. In the case of Father Gadosh, I think we do have a lot of information about his path to the priesthood. So many of you in the parish have known Father from the day that he was born. Um, we have a parish where there's, there's a lot of faithful who have been here since, since day one, and since the Gadoshes were here from day one, and, and so many others were here from day one, they all know Father Gadosh. And you have been able to observe him at, at every stage of his childhood and adolescence. And perhaps the fact that he became a priest is not a big surprise for you. Perhaps you saw a certain trajectory. He was pointing in a certain direction. And so um, it seemed almost natural for him to pursue that path. Well, I don't have that advantage. I've, I've not even been here one year. But, but I think there are some things that are, that are evident to me in this short time things that, that, that I think must have contributed to Father Gadosh's vocation without me cross-interrogating him uh, directly about this before, before pronouncing the sermon. I was going to sort of launch into the deep. Um, but it, it is obvious to me that, that the Father's family has a very high level of commitment to their parish and a very high level of involvement in their parish. The Gadoshes are sort of part of the furniture here at at St. Isidore's and have been so for a long time. Um, they manage the parish bookstore, they train the servers, uh, they take care of the sacristy. And as I say, they've been doing this for a very long time. And one of the most important ingredients in a vocation, if, if we want to try to distill down a vocation and, and reduce it to its, to its component parts and figure out something of this mysterious process of the generation of, of a priest, I think one of the most important ingredients is generosity, a very great generosity. And it's hard for children to witness an example of great generosity in their parents and not be inspired to imitate that generosity. It's, it's even better when it's not even a question of being inspired to generosity. It's just a question of a way of life. In other words, that the children just simply live the same way that their parents live. And their parents live a life of great generosity to the church, to their parish. In other words, for some families, being generous to their parish is just what they do. And the children are not saying to themselves, should I be generous or should I not be generous? The question doesn't even come up. They're just being generous without realizing that. For them, helping out in the parish is just something normal and ordinary. It's just what they do. What others might call generous, they would call simply a way of life. And for children of such a family, when it comes time to consider a vocation, and they ask themselves, should I or should I not offer my life for the service of the church? 
it's not too difficult for them to say, I think I should. I should offer my life. I mean, why not? Why not? That impulse of generosity is a part of them. It's just a part of their life. There's no need for a great struggle. To make this offer does not seem extraordinary. It's perfectly in line with the generosity towards the church that has been lived by their family for so many years. And I think families do need to understand that this is really as far as you need to get your children. You just need to get them to the point to where they're willing to offer themselves for the service of the church. You don't have to make their vocation. It's not really your job. It's more or less the job of the convent or the monastery or the seminary. That's where the formation takes place. That's where the real discernment takes place. What the parents need to do is to communicate to their children this very great love of the church and a very great generosity in their heart such that when the time comes, they will be willing to say, maybe I should offer myself. No one whatsoever, no one of you, needs to decide that they have a vocation before they enter a seminary, a monastery, or a convent. No one of you parents needs to decide that for your children. No one of you children need to decide it for yourself. No one has the ability to do that. And no graduate or young adult who would come to me and ask me, um, to none of them would I say, oh yeah, you definitely have a vocation. It's just simply impossible to say for sure until they enter a house of formation and try the life out and see if it fits or not. The only thing that needs to be decided is if one wants to offer himself or herself for the service of the church. And one of the reasons I bring this up is because Father Jonas was not the only one of his family who tried his vocation at the seminary. I myself was in the seminary when, when Jeremy entered for his time there. And then later, after I was ordained, uh, James uh, went to the seminary for a certain time. I mean, neither of them had a vocation, but both of them had the generosity to offer themselves for the life of the priesthood to see if God was calling them. And even if you had a family where, where three tried a vocation, but, but none of them persevered, that, it's, that of itself would be an impressive statistic. You know, I mean, like if... if on the basketball court and you, you, there's no way you're going to score unless you shoot right you have to at least attempt um, and so if if a family is is able to inspire in their children this willingness to offer themselves to the church that is of itself already a great accomplishment and a sign of the love that the family itself has the parents themselves have for the church, for their parish, for the mystical body of Christ, for the promotion of the kingdom of God. Children are not likely to, to spend their life for the church if their parents have not themselves been generous to their parish with their time and resources. So you've got those mass and dash families um, who just, they just sort of cash in at their parish and then they leave without contributing and the children get the impression that, that 
um, there's a one-way relationship here. It's just all receiving and no giving. Or the smorgasbord families who sort of flit from parish to parish to find the most convenient mass times or the priests they like the best. The, the children get the impression that it's really um, a matter of preference. It's a matter of serving your own needs when, when you choose where to go to mass. It's not a question of this generosity where you're looking to, to build up the mystical body of Christ. These types of families are not able to prepare their children for the generosity and the commitment, the very great commitment needed to pursue a vocation. Dear Father Gadash, God has accepted the offer of your generosity. Your parents showed you how to be generous to God. You adopted their example. You adopted their way of life. And now that you're a priest, you will need that generosity more than ever. Sometimes as we grow older and we're observing the generosity of others, we notice something important, some aspect of their generosity. And this is what I want to encourage you to try to foster in your own generosity, dear Father. At first, we might, looking at them, think that their generosity is a question of an exchange. They're they're being generous in order to receive something. And sometimes speak, people speak in this way in regards to a vocation. They say, oh, well, you know, you, you give your life to God, but God can never be outdone in generosity. Whatever you give to him, you're going to receive a lot more back from God. And, of course, this is true, and I'm, I'm not wanting to say to people they shouldn't say this, but it does make the vocation seem like something contractual, you know, I give 100 bucks to God, I get 150 back. Or I give up 200, I get 325 back. And this is, this is a great deal. And this, this is why I'm, I know I'm getting a good deal by pursuing a vocation, and that's why I'm, I'm doing it. Um, so that is, is not the truest form of generosity. Whenever we observe a person being truly generous, when we look closely, we see that the person gives without that expectation and even that calculation of what they're going to receive in return. There's no sort of careful reckoning where the person says, you know, I think I can safely bet that if I do so-and-so, then this other good thing is going to come back to me. Rather, it's simply, I want to do as much as I can. I want to give myself as much as I can for the love of God, no matter what I get in return. And as often as we notice this in someone, we see something that's higher than mere generosity. As often as we observe this, what we're really looking at is true love. Because love is all about doing good to the other without counting the cost and without counting what you're going to get back in return. Father has given his life for the love of souls, for the love of the church, for the love of God. And dear Father, it's, it's really important that there be no limit to your gift. That you don't set a certain boundary for yourself and you say, as long as I give at least that much, I will be good. But 
you set this path, this vision on your priesthood that you give as much as you can. Because that is what distinguishes a generosity that is not love from a generosity that is love. Your priesthood is going to demand very much of you. In fact, it's going to ask absolutely everything of you. And you must be willing to give everything. But don't worry. You're not going to have to give everything at one moment. You just have to give as much as you can each day. It's not necessary for you to give it all at once, just one day at a time. You have to give it by the faithful and careful recitation of your divine office, by saying your daily mass as devoutly as you can and trying to ever increase in that devotion to your daily mass. You have to give it by your willingness, especially to be inconvenienced at every hour by the demands of the faithful, to to perhaps hear a confession, to go do a sick call, to give counsel to a soul that needs your attention, to be willing to, to drop everything when you are needed. And if I may say so, dear Father, um, it's, it has pleased our superiors to put your generosity to a test right, right at the beginning and that they're sending you to another country. And perhaps people are thinking, well, Father Gadosh, he's just going to Canada. I mean, that's just across the border, so that's, that's no big deal. Well, it is a bigger deal than, than you think. It is a bigger deal than you think to, to live in another country. Even if that country speaks the same language, even if the country is just across the border from your own country, because of the fact that every country is different. People have different ways of living, different ways of seeing things. Um, if you have a country with a different origin, with a, with a different ruler, with a different history, then things that they will do will be different. The way that they speak, the food that they eat, Um, the way that they go about doing things. This will be a test for your generosity. And I just want to encourage you to to be willing to practice that mortification that's so necessary to where we're not saying, why don't they just do everything the way that we do it, (laughs) that that I'm used to, Um, instead to to be very adaptable. I, I think um, if, if, if one of the, if the, the vow of the Benedictines, if they take a fourth vow of stability, it's almost like the priest of the society needs to take a vow of flexibility, adaptability, because we can be sent anywhere. We can be asked one year to do one thing and another year to be, do something completely different. We can be asked to learn a new language, to go to the other side of the world. We don't know what we're going to be asked. Our whole priesthood could be anything whatsoever. It could change each year. We learned last week that two of our own priests are getting reassigned and we're getting two new priests. This is, this is the Society of St. Pius X. And it's, it's a bit punishing on nature, but it, it does demand that great generosity. So, dear Father, when, when you go to Canada, if um, you are having to do things their way, um, and if you are trying to pretend that you like the way they do those things, you're trying to to um, conform to to their habits and customs as best you can. This is um, a beautiful way to to be all things to all men. So, dear Father, this is the path that you have chosen. You have accepted this call from our Lord to, to be a fisher of men. You have chosen a life where you have so many opportunities to exercise your generosity for the love of God. 
And that is what I wish for you on this day of your first Mass, that as you grow into the priesthood, that you are able to give yourself more and more, that you seek to do the things of a priest well, as well as you can do them, to be generous to God without anticipating what you might receive in return. And of course, as, <clears throat> as our parish grows, and it's growing very, very quickly, we have so many more people coming to Mass these days, <clears throat> I do hope that, that the number of vocations increases as well. Um, we, generally speaking, are, are not having the, the same rate of increase of vocations as we are of, of faithful. We so desperately need um, vocations. And I, and I hope that there are many children who will find in their parents that very great love for the faith, a great desire to be close to the altar, a great generosity in serving our Lord Jesus Christ in their parish. And perhaps during the reception, you can ask Father Gadosh about how many hours as, as a child he spent close to the altar because of that generosity of his family. Or you've got two hours to, to ask him what, what were his motivations. Our world is very, very short on good priests and desperately in need of them, and they can only come from holy families. That's the, the ultimate source, the ultimate cause of good vocations. And I hope that on this joyful occasion of Father Gerash's first Mass, parents see that it is possible for one of their sons to become a priest, and that they're inspired to, to give their children a beautiful example of that Catholic generosity. Lord, grant us many holy priests. Lord, grant that Father Gerash may be a holy priest in your service. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.